Welcome to the Common Geeking Program, a book club podcast where each episode, three of us read up on a topic and then discuss it from geeky, nerdy perspectives. This week, I am your host, Pat, and we'll be discussing The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and other anthology series, slash something that's not really an anthology series, but we'll get into that. I am joined (laughs) by two people, each of whom has selected a domain that they think connects to our topic and theme this week, and they are Chowder Than Jeff. Howdy! I'm Timel, or Chowder, whichever you prefer. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> Howdy! Howdy, y'all! Howdy! <laughs> there's a skank in my boot! Did you say there's a skank in your boot? Oh, that's what I heard. I heard skank in my boot. <laughs> well, I guess What are you talking about? Uh, anyways, I'm talking about the, uh, uh, m- about the, uh, the, the OVA I gotta know, movie. you're keeping me in such suspense. Uh, Robot Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an it's an anime. Neato. Uh, released and in 1987. Damn. My name is Jeff Levitt, and I yeah I guess for better or for worse I'm gonna be talking about the uh, the British romantic comedy Love Actually, and we'll see how that goes. Is Love Actually actually an anthology or? I mean, it's comparable to an anthology. I was gonna talk it's about similar. either that or Black Mirror, but Black Mirror seemed a little bit too cookie cutter. So, and we've already talked about Black Mirror, so I figured this would give us more interesting things to talk about. Yeah, I guess. I like but it. Black Mirror probably would have gotten us more clicks, so you know, <laughs> kind of did it did us a disservice. We've already talked about Black Mirror. Truth, I might have already <laughs> talked about Love Actually too. I actually don't Maybe. remember. I don't know. Um, well, before we openly discuss everything at the end and duke this out we're going to start by summarizing our topic and domains uh we are going to end the episode with a competitive rating section to determine who best contributed and whether today's topic is actually enjoyable or if pat's a piece of shit um can't both be true you know what i'm gonna actually start out with is a little bit of a story time so (laughs) okay today at work i left my like desk area and went out to just get a nice little break, check my phone, do a whole bunch of other stuff, and I noticed four emails consecutively in a row from today. Oh shit, four emails! Epic, the uh, creator of Fortnite as most people know them, but also just like a bunch of other games. And As it, well as all... the Unreal Engine. That's... Yeah, the... That's who the emails are from? Yeah, the emails from them. Specifically, they are receipts from purchases that I had made in their store. Oh, shit. Except you had. I was at work all day, and I did not make these purchases. Oh, no. That's there not were good. four charges on my account for, for like $175 total Yikes. of somebody buying in-game items on Fortnite <laughs> Oh, to my account. Oh, dear. <laughs> Do you play so, Fortnite? I used to. I don't really a lot anymore and i certainly but to your account it it doesn't yeah it doesn't benefit them at all like all they did was inconvenience me make me have to get a new credit card and change all my passwords and shit so whoever the fuck is out there stole my shit i hope you die (laughs) did you did you find anything else out about it or that's just kind of where it ends i'm waiting for epic to email me back i submitted the claim through like my credit card company and they canceled my account and sent me a new card but damn that's fucked bro yeah i was pissed the fuck off I found out that I haven't been getting paychecks for the past three weeks. That's pretty fucked too, uh, man. Yeah, yeah it's it is very fucked. Yes, because uh, because the school changed my uh, my my punch number and didn't tell me, and I don't what? think it was on purpose because it's only one digit off, and everyone else I've talked to has the same exact number from last semester. So, so you think I, somebody just fat fingered it? Yeah, I do. 
because it's a yeah. six instead of the last digit is a six instead of a five. It ended with five five before. Dude, now it ends with five six. Somebody's gonna like, find your fucking shit. I'm not gonna Don't say tell the them whole this. number. Yeah, people are gonna go punch in for work for me. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So. so moral I'm, of the story. I'll be getting the back pay, but I might not be seeing most of that paycheck till two weeks from now, which really sucks. It'll be a big ass paycheck since yeah. it's you know the past four big weeks. Big ass plus paycheck. Big but it'll ass still paycheck. Suck. But it still sucks, yeah. I'm having got, to kind of slum it off my credit card till then. But. Yeah. Uh, anyway, moral of the story, kids. Change your passwords. Uh, don't use the same password for everything. Hell knows I do. And don't make your password password or one two three four five six or yeah. QWERTY oh, God damn it. or ask If I them. didn't have to change my password before, now I definitely have to. <laughs> don't use your birthdays. Pretty much look up a list of, like, commonly available passwords on the internet and if your password resembles any of those you should probably change it yeah word but let's did finally yours? what no mine did not in any way but it was the same across my paypal and my epic account and that's how they got <laughs> yikes all of that to work so did you go and change that afterward yeah I, I changed like every single one of my passwords besides my xbox and playstation accounts which i will do after we are done recording this but speaking of that my skype when I tried to sign in for to Skype today, they're like, oh, your Microsoft account has been suspended because your account has been sending out spam to people. And I'm like, what? And then I went and looked at my recent activity and there was fucking nothing there. So I don't yeah. know what that was about. I got to purge one of my accounts, my email accounts, because it's just like nothing but fucking junk mail now. So mm. um, anyway, we should start recording now. Or not recording, but like <laughs> we uh, haven't been recording this whole time. We should that start actually talking nothing. about the shit. All right. Word. So today we are talking about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is an anthology series slash film, I suppose. Um, written. Directed and produced by the Cohen brothers, they are. Should we um? Should we give a brief synops- synopsis of what anthology series are? Yeah. So an anthology film or series is something that is a group of small stories or like small short films that are grouped together by not necessarily a theme, but just like they're recording. like packaged together. Yeah, they're packaged together. So um, a famous one is the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. That's an anthology TV series. Black Mirror is in the same vein. Stephen King has a collection of short stories called, like, Four Minutes to Midnight or some shit like that. That's an anthology because they're all shorter than his normal novels and grouped together. I'm, I'm pretty sure Fantasia is considered an anthology because... Interesting. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Like, that was actually the other uh, anthology I was considering of repping, but I went with Robot Carnival because I'm a fucking hipster. <laughs> I haven't seen Fantasia in years. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I saw Fantasia. That brings me back to fucking elementary school, watching yeah. that shit in, like, music class or something. Mm. Um, so, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is specifically um, six vignettes or short films that um, are all Wild West-themed. Yeah. Which makes for some interesting situations. So, 
I guess we can just jump into it. But I do want to say that the most surprising thing about this film to me was how star-studded the cast was. Yeah. Um, because like this... Liam Neeson and uh, ah yes, and... Liam Neeson, Mister. Yeah. I waited outside a bar hoping to murder a black man. Yeah, yeah that was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least he was saying it in the context of like, yo. This is fucked up, and I'm somebody up raped to it. my friend. But yeah, I don't know, man. Anyway, yeah, but that's not really. We're getting a, off topic. This is I'm not just a reason to hate it's a podcast. Red, it's a red flag that he actually admitted it. You know, I know. Yeah, but that's true. I mean, it's a red flag he, that he did it, not that yeah. he admitted it. <laughs> Admitting it is fine. Doing it is bad. Yes. Um, anyway, it's also got James Franco, Brendan Gleeson, uh, a, lot of, a lot of good people. Yeah. Uh, so I guess let's just jump into it. We'll start off with the first of the six vignettes. Um, <laughs> the one oh. that's actually about Buster Scruggs. It's called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is the first one. Um, yeah. So we, we meet Buster Scruggs, who is played by Tim Blake Nelson, I believe. Is that the um, guy's name? I believe it's Tim Blake Nelson. He's I the guy who plays wrong. like fucking brain in the whole it movie, is right? tim blake nelson he also plays yep, the dude it. in holes the doctor oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah um so he it's been a while is, since i've seen holes yeah he is known as like one of the fastest guns in the wild west he sings a lot he's riding his horse in a town he goes into a cantina also um, he wears a literal white hat yeah <laughs> he, all of his stuff is white like he's just dressed in white um Arrives Which is at, impressive, given how given how many people he murders. True, get really bloodstained. But he arrives at a cantina full of outlaws. Mm-hmm. But they make, um, or no, this is before that one. Cantina full of outlaws. Um, he ends up in a shootout with them. Fucking blows they all think their he's brains a out. Snobby looking motherfucker. Yeah. So they're all gruff and tumble, and then you know he's like, "Yo, stop being a dick." And then the guy mm-hmm. draws his gun, and he shoots him in the head, and he shoots everyone else. Yeah, Cause that's how you do. So it's just like to show off exactly how fast his gun is and right. how badass he is. So he's a skilled he motherfucker, killing all those bitches. And then he goes to town um, to go to a saloon where he has to give up his guns at the door because there's Why? no firearms policy. Um, Why you do this, Chowder? What? what did he do? What did I do? What? What did, did I? Weird. It just popped up on your screen and said, "Gonna log back off and back on again." Uh, what? Oh, which like is what you said before. earlier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's weird. I'm not gonna lock off oh, and back me. on. Uh, go on. Sorry, continue. All right, so he goes in and sees a round of poker happening. Decides to sit down and ask if he can uh, play in, but they and say fucking clumsy, clumsy Brown. What, what's his name? Surly Joe. Like, yeah, no, the actor though. Yeah, I don't fucking know his name. Clumsy, clumsy yeah. Brown. Um, that sounds wrong. So he sits down right and looks at the cards, and then once he sees what the cards are, decides he does not want to play. Oh, I forgot every time I Google things, everyone turns into a robot. God damn it. Because he has been dealt the dead man's hand, which is a pair of black eights and a pair of black aces with an unknown fifth card. Um, that is a just historical nod to Wild Bill Hickok. It was supposedly the hand that he was dealt before he got shot. Um, oh, that's what that was about. Okay. Yeah, it's just bad Plancy luck. Clancy Brown. It's bad luck in general to get dealt those cards. That so, makes a lot um, more sense. Buster refuses to play, and Surly Joe takes offense to that because he says once you've seen him, you have to play him. Um, he shows that he, in fact, is armed even though he's not allowed to be, and Buster Scruggs takes offense through. to this because he is not a coward. made him take his gun, yeah. yeah. So what he does is he slams his foot on the table, <laughs> breaking a plank, hitting the gun uh, that is in Surly Joe's hand, 
into his chin and shooting it like three times. Yeah. Literally <laughs> blowing the smile off of his face. Um, yeah. It was it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's in, uh that's Cohen Brothers uh sense of humor yeah. for you, yeah. <laughs> in the aftermath of this, Buster breaks into a song about the guy he just killed and everybody starts going crazy, but then Surly Joe's brother shows up and challenges uh, Buster Shrugs to a duel um, to defend his brother's honor, I guess, or some shit like that, just to avenge him. Um, And then when they're out there, Buster Shrugs is just not giving a shit, shoots all five fingers off the other guy's shooting hand, and then with the sixth shot in his gun, because it's a six-shooter, he lines up a shot in a mirror over his shoulder (laughs) and shoots him in the head. Upside down. Upside down, yeah. (laughs) Um, so it was just like, he's just showing off. And then immediately after that happens, a uh, cowboy rides into town dressed in all black, um, challenges, especially a black hat. And it's, it's, it's yeah. great because, because it's like, oh, the wild west music on the fucking harmonica. And then the guy yeah. rides up and he's playing the harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they come in and I don't think he has a name really. He's just like, no, oh, he just shows up. A he's cowboy. just a drifter. Um, yeah. He has heard that Buster Scruggs is the fastest gun in the West and wants to challenge him to a duel. And Buster's like, all right, whatever. I already killed one guy. I guess I have to kill another. Before Buster can even react. Um, yeah, because he's like, do you want to count down? And yeah, Buster's he like. Yes, if he needs a count, he's like, no, sir. And then immediately after he finishes that, sir, he is shot in the head. But it takes this long, arduous process to actually like go through the dying process. He takes his hat off, sees that there's a hole in the front, then looks at the back, sees that there's a blood-splattered hole in the back. Then it pans up to his forehead, and you see the actual <laughs> bullet wound. Then he goes like, oh shit, or something to that effect, and falls over. Yeah. And <laughs> but then not before his looking spirit sings a song. At a mirror. Yeah. He looks in the mirror, and that's how he oh, sees yeah, yeah, yeah. the bullet <laughs> I forgot wound. about that. That's really um, great. So then he falls over. His spirit starts riding out of his body and up into the sky with wings, <laughs> and he sings this song called, like, When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings, which yeah. is a fantastic song, by the way. Uh, I'm pretty sure the song won an awards at Sundance or some shit like that. And also, the, it's a duet. Cause yeah, the, so yeah the black, with the guy who killed him. <laughs> the black-hatted man, as he's riding out of town, is singing this with him. It's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. would highly recommend, if you only watch one of these, that is a good one. Yeah, I think that they kind of, I'm not going to say that they each go down in enjoyability for me, but they kind of, like, get less ridiculous each time and more, yeah. like, realistic. So well, then, I wouldn't call it realistic. Well, not realistic, but, you know, more, like, less jovial each time, right? Like there's a there's a bit there's like a lot of fun in that one right and then yeah the, I would say that and then kinda, the last one the last one's like pretty dark and there wasn't like a lot of like haha jokes in there you know yeah last one's dark the second to last one's real dark I mean second to um, last one's also real racist but we'll get to that yeah yeah um wait maybe I'm misremembering the order but let's go to the next one called. Near Algodones, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, uh, like, I don't know. I would think it's Algodones or it's Algodones. It's probably not Algodones. It takes place in New Mexico, <laughs> so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what we have here, you have this guy. You have James Franco, the cowboy. He uh, <laughs> he walks into a bank and uh, holds the Clark Teller man as the counter at gunpoint. Yes, but the most important part about this is that the man behind the counter is. The fucking dude from Office Space, yeah. who doesn't have a desk, and he just goes up and he's like, "Hello, excuse me, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't have a desk." That. He, he is pretty much he? the same fucking character, yeah. just rambling and 
<laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I love any, it. Anyways, yeah, that uh, that dude, uh, he uh, makes his uh, getaway by, like, ducking under the table and, like, firing off three shotguns. That are just mounted to the floor, always in <laughs> position, ready to do this. Yeah. And anyways, so James Franco takes the money and and leaves, but uh, he, uh, but like, what do you know? It's the clerk teller, and he's firing at James Franco, and he's covered <laughs> in pots and pans and shit. <laughs> yeah, James Franco tries to shoot him, but he's bulletproof on the account of his pots and pans. <laughs> yeah. So James Franco ends up running out the front door, and then he like gets shot behind a well. And then he sees the man running out covered in pots and pans as he's taking his six shooter out to try to shoot him. Every time it ricochets off, this old man just yells, PAN SHOT! PAN SHOT! <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Um, he's trying to get his horse to come over. It anyway, really that work. old man, like, like, runs up to him and knocks him out with the butt of his rifle. When, uh, James Franco wakes up, he finds himself on the end of a noose being told by a bunch of, uh, I'm guessing they're like vigilantes or something. Oh, there's like the sheriff yeah, or something like that. Man. Yeah, Lament. Eh, all right, uh, Lament uh, and a jury of his peers. Uh, yep, uh, saying that they tried, they <laughs> already tried him <laughs> and they found him guilty while he was unconscious. Uh, no, he was he was there. He was just out of. It. They said like you were yeah. spouting some feverish thing, but all right. But well, anyways. Just as they're about to uh, hang him, uh, they get attacked by racial stereotypes of the Comanche people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Comanche kill the lawman and his posse and just leave James Franco there on top of his horse with a noose around mm-hmm. his neck. Yep. Uh, but hey, look, look, it's lucky day for, uh, James Franco because somebody comes and, uh, gets him off his noose. It's a rancher. A, a rancher, quote unquote. Quote unquote. When when that guy was walking up and I saw that he was like had kind of a chubbier face and was more bearded, I was like, I, "Is it Seth Rogen?" And then it wasn't. And I was kind of <laughs> sad. I wanted but... it to be Seth Rogen so bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he ends up taking him out of the noose by just shooting the rope instead of walking over and untying it. Yeah, but he misses the first time, so the horse that he's standing on runs away. So he's like flailing there, and then he's like, "Hold yeah. still!" And then he shoots the fucking rope finally. Yeah, hold still as you're swinging from a tree by yeah. your neck. <laughs> <laughs> that probably should have killed him, considering like the way yeah, nooses but, work. Break, but whatever. That's well, up yeah. I mean, and, that's and, not the first departure from reality that we see in this sh- in this movie chapter. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, unfortunately, it turns out said uh, rancher was actually a rustler, yeah. and uh, <laughs> those cattle he was rustling were stolen. So he gets captured again by a different sheriff and his posse and gets hung for that and uh but not before seeing a pretty girl yeah he like meets eyes with a girl in the crowd yeah. right before he's about to be hanged and then he's like that's a pretty girl and then they put the bag in his head and he drops and then yeah. yep and then everybody cheers after i really there's also the, the, right before that though yeah. there was like there were like he was being hanged with like four people and one of them was like fucking crying and he turns to the guy who goes first time <laughs> yeah that was really funny i like that Oh. All right, so the third one is the one with Liam Neeson. Is that right? Yep. Uh, yep, it's called Meal Ticket. Meal Ticket. So it starts off, uh, so Liam Neeson and his partner or brother, I don't know. It's something. It, they're not related. They're not related? 
does it say that at any point? Or it doesn't say for any reason that they are related. Okay, but whatever. I guess he, so he, it does draw parallels to the Cain and Abel story, but whatever. Yeah, so th- that's kind of why I thought they were brothers, but th- it doesn't say that explicitly. So they could be, they couldn't be. Anyway, they're partners, and his partner is a guy with no arms and legs. Um, and basically, they have a whole shtick where they go around from town to town, and they, uh, the guy with no arms and legs is up on stage, and he's doing soliloquies of like. You know, Cain and Abel and other yeah, Cain famous... and Abel, Shelley's poem, Ozymandias, uh, Shakespeare's Sonnet 29, and the Gettysburg Address are yeah. all. Yeah, the Gettysburg Address, that one caught me off guard. I was like, so right. we'll talk about that. I think yeah. <laughs> it, it draws good parallels here. Um, um, so basically, they're kind of going around and doing that. It's basically just giving us a montage of how that goes like we kind of see that the crowd is like smaller smaller each time um but because basically when he's doing his last soliloquy uh liam neeson walks around with his hat and collects coin from people who are willing to give it um so that's how they're making their money and it's just kind of like showing them going together it doesn't really show them communicating at all or having any sort of rapport um and then in the one show, I mean, it does show him like helping him pee. Oh, he helps and him. Yeah, him. yeah. No, I'm mean, good. I mean, like but they're not. They don't really talk. Yeah, yeah. They don't talk is what I mean. Um, and then the last show, they don't get anything at all. There are like three people in the audience, and they don't give him any money. And then Liam Neeson realizes that there are like the entire population of the city is off watching some other thing, and he goes and he investigates, and he sees this this act where this guy is telling people from the crowd to yell out math questions and then there's a chicken in a box with with numbers and so they're like oh what's 11 twice or whatever and then the chicken fucking walks over by itself and pecks the 22 the 22 thing and people are fucking eating that shit up and then it the fucking the chicken and liam neeson like lock eyes and then the next scene is liam neeson like paying the guy to buy the chicken and then for a second i thought liam neeson was paying to have sex with the chicken and i was horrified <laughs> oh my god what all so right that scene where he goes and gets like a prostitute oh a prostitute yeah brings I the no arm and no leg man <laughs> into and the sits room him in there and just turns him around and then turns him in the opposite direction so he can't watch Thankfully, like, they smash cut to after, so we don't have to sit through yeah. that. Yeah. It's pretty awkward, though. Um, but, um, so... The ending, he, though, is the... Yeah, <laughs> he brings the back the chicken, and the, the guy with no arms and legs is kind of, like, eyeballing it, like, what's going on here? And then they're traveling, and um, it's just a shot of the guy with, you know, no limbs and the chicken in the back, and then Liam Neeson stops the cart, and then he gets out, and he's just like, hmm, because they've just traveled by this gorge. And yeah, a big, they crossed a bridge crossed a bridge and then Liam Neeson kind of like looks down at the bridge and then picks up a big rock walks onto it and like throws it into the water and then he just walks back it's to a, the car it's a large drop like. yeah it's a very large drop he was basically like testing to see you know like how deep the water was and how far of a drop it was and then he just walks back to the car and the guy with no limbs is kind of eyeballing him and then the next shot is Liam Neeson driving elsewhere and just the chicken is in the cart yeah <laughs> so he it's, threw the guy over they don't, the, they don't specifically show that but, it but, is, uh, but that yes. is heavily implied and very heavily all implied. there was to that one yeah i think that one's really good though that was that was a nice break yeah um, the all next right. one the next one yes uh so this one opens up with a prospector um arriving in a valley where he thinks there's going to be gold 
beside a river. So for the first part, it's pretty much just a montage of him digging dirt, uh, putting it into one of those machines. I can't remember what they're called. And uh, I gotta say, it is a beautifully shot short. Like uh, like yeah. the way they film nature and stuff is just absolutely great. Uh, yeah, I really thought there was going to be more to do with that fucking owl by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, kept, well, like, doing that's a shot the thing. Of the owl. Like, it's hard I was to really know, expecting, but... like, right at the end there for the owl to just, like, swoop in and slash his throat or something. <laughs> yeah, but that, I guess that's the Coen Brothers for you, is you think yeah. that something crazy yeah. is going to happen. But this one's pretty tame, I would say. Um, <laughs> so he's yeah. panning all of the dirt to see if there's gold, and he counts pretty much how many there are. And then he finally finds, like, an area where he thinks he, like, there's going to be... He, triangulates. Yeah. He, he marks them with sticks and shit um, and starts to dig deeper and deeper. But then during one day, I guess he spots the owl um, tending to a nest and he gets kind of hungry. So he climbs up and decides that he wants to eat some eggs. But he realizes as he's pulling them um, out of the, the nest that she the owl is, watching. is watching him. So he starts putting them back and then... All of a sudden, he's like, well, maybe one won't hurt. Um, how, how high can birds count? Yeah, how, how high can birds <laughs> count is what he says. So he takes, it, it fast forwards to him eating some fish and one of the eggs. Um, and then it goes forward to, I think it's like his third day of digging. He finally reaches what he refers to as Mr. Pocket. Yeah. Uh, it's a <laughs> large gold, gold vein. Yeah. yeah. So... Pretty much as soon as he discovers it, though, somebody comes up behind him, and it's a young guy who's been following him or watching him this entire time, waiting for him to do all the dirty work and dig the holes and everything, and he plans to kill him, take the gold, and pass it off as his own. So mm-hmm. he shoots him in the shoulder, I think. Um, yeah, kind of in the back. Oh. Yeah, in the back somewhere, and the prospector falls down. The guy waits a minute just to make sure that he's actually dead and takes out a smoke, and then once he feels it is safe to go down there he hops down but prospector is playing dead all along flips over kicks the gun out and then kills the um the young man yeah with his own gun and then he's as, like this motherfucker tried to shoot me yeah. in the back and he let just me like do going all the work on all this shit he gets out of the hole goes and like cleans his wound out realizes it went clean through didn't hit anything vital because apparently he's a fucking doctor and knows that shit but well he's not dead i think that's I know, how he that, knows yeah, but he could die later on like, yeah i'm like, sure he could but i mean knowing he, the time he, he's he'll probably die of infection so yeah that's what i'm saying is like it Don't could still all? be lethal but uh because he's we got penicillin Shit. Yeah, but he's literally like bleeding. I guess he wraps it up and shit. But his his wound is still open. He finishes mining the gold, like doing manual labor with this shit. Yeah. And then he um leaves the valley with his mule and everything, pushing all this gold, and just like nothing's wrong. So yep, that's the end of it. Dude's fucking hardcore. Yeah, I, I mean, was, I was really uh, fucking expecting the owl to come back at the end. <laughs> yeah. Chekhov's owl. I mean, he does see the owl, like. They, like, yeah. look at each other and, I guess, acknowledge or honor, respect each other or whatever. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. No, the owl is, is like, kind of sh- shown several times, but it never, you know. Yeah. But that's fine. I, I enjoyed the ending of that one. I was like, oh, that was nice. I'm, I'm happy the that this symbolic. is the first one in which there wasn't, like, uh, the death of the main character. <laughs> I mean, I guess unless you consider Liam Neeson to be the main character of the third one, but... Yeah. yeah. So next up, we got the gal who got rat. Yeah, uh, this, this was actually probably the darkest one. I, I misremember it. I thought this was the last one. Yeah, this one. Uh, yeah, I I didn't really care for this one. I but uh, 
So let, let we start off uh, at like a sort of dinner scene. Uh, we have uh, Alice Longabaugh and her brother Gilbert. Gilbert. Uh, they're making their way toward Oregon uh, because her you brother. Know how has, that goes? <laughs> yeah, on on a wag on a wagon train, you know. Uh, because Gilbert has business prospects there. Well, not only business prospects, someone who will marry his sister. Who might yeah. marry his yeah. sister. <laughs> the person who he has business with. And, like, nothing's for sure, because, as we learn later, he's kind of a yeah. uh, big talker. He's kind of all talk and no game, really. Which yeah. adds more credence to the old adage of don't shit where you eat, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Gilbert dies of cholera, so that's fun. Yeah, so he dies of cholera on the way there, leaving... Uh, Which is absolutely not what happens in the game Oregon Trail, where they all die of dysentery. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, cholera comes from uh, infected water, and I mean infected with shit. Yeah. Human shit. So maybe it is kind of dysentery that killed him. Yeah, I don't well, know. Because it, it was like an <laughs> infectious cough, right? Like, they started well, yeah, off but talking I'm just saying, about... Like, the dysentery might have been in the water that he then drank. Yeah. So therefore, I don't know. It's it's stupid. Anyway, let's let's. He dies. Let's keep going. Yeah. Anyway, he, he dies, leaving Alice alone, and that's a problem because uh she they hired a man to like uh uh what 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 was he hired to do? Just like run the shit just or to, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. To, to run the the cart and bring. He was gonna pay him halfway there, and then he was gonna pay him the rest of the way. Yeah. yeah. The the rest at the end. Yeah. Unfortunately. They buried the money with the body by accident. Yeah, and uh, so, but uh, you know, don't forget, don't forget, uh, President, what is what's his face? President uh, Pierce. President Pierce. 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 President Pierce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the dog. Yeah. So, uh, thankfully, there's uh, uh, what's that dude's name? Billy. Billy. Uh, Billy. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, Billy, who's uh, pretty much in Alice's, uh, who's in Alice's corner, and you know, are helping her her through all this. Uh. Uh. Like, uh, uh, first, like, Billy, uh, uh, tells her about, like, how everyone is having a problem with the dog, and she doesn't really care about the dog, cause, uh, it was wasn't her, her, it was her brother, yeah. so, uh, they gotta put the dog down, so, Billy goes out and, like, uh, tries to sh- put it down, but misses, uh. Yeah, he misses, he's trying to shoot it, he can't hit it, and then it scares him off. Yeah, so the next day, uh. You know, she's having problem. She's having problems with the uh, hired help, who uh, you know, understandably wants to be paid but can't. So he's threatening to like, uh, you know, take the first wagon back home. So uh, what happens is, uh, uh, Billy, uh, uh, who's been like, offers to marry her. Yeah, offers to marry her, and uh, she actually uh, reciprocates. She uh, actually accepts his proposal because. They've been growing fond with each other over the ride, so... It does take her a little bit to yeah. actually, like, think about it, though, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. She sees that's her best option right now. Yeah. Um, and he tells her about the Homestead Act, so once they get married, they can get to the to Oregon itself, and then they get 640 acres or some shit like that. Um, Anyways, the following morning, Mr. Arthur notices that Alice is missing, as, t- or, uh, as Wikipedia would put it. Uh, he finds her... <laughs> Uh, uh, like, I realized I was directly quoting the thing, so I should probably point out that I was directly quoting the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's also we don't the like whole thing about, here. uh, Billy is talking about how he feels bad about how he's gonna leave Mr. Mr. Arthur. Yeah, but Mr. Arthur's a tough old boy. He can find new people to train yeah. up with him. He's fine. Yeah. yeah. But there, it was like a whole dynamic in there where he was like, well, I just don't want to end up being old and yeah. end up dying without any children to take care of me. 
like I suspect Mr. Arthur might if he keeps on yeah. going with this routine. But he notices that Alice is missing and he goes off to try to find her. She he finds her with President Pierce who suppose like somehow survived and came back. Um, yeah. But then notices on the hilltop uh that there is a Native American scout who signals to his like party that there are white people to come scalp. Yep. So obviously they have to come do that. And uh yeah, what we have next is uh the racist depiction of Native Americans as hooting and hollering <laughs> and trying to scalp people. Yeah. Which so is they... uh not good, I should just say. Yeah. So the the main thing that happens here though is Mr. Arthur gives Alice a pistol that um if he dies she can shoot herself instead of being captured and supposedly like tortured in ways or anything like that as a more humane offering to her um mr arthur ends up not dying but like kind of dying he plays dead and kills the last remaining native american but then realizes that when he played dead that she shot herself <laughs> she shot herself because she thought that was the end and yeah. uh she's just laying there with a bullet in her brain pretty sad but yep <laughs> And what really was the point of that one was is the White question. people, that's the point. <laughs> yeah, um, there's not a lot of great uh, depictions of Native Americans in this series. I mm-hmm. kind of lent that more to the fact that it's set as like a spaghetti western type thing. Yeah, it but was like, like oh, actually, spaghetti it's, westerns it's less of don't... a it's less of a spaghetti western, more of like the classical western, you know, that you yeah, see with okay. like John Wayne and stuff. Uh, what I get from all these shorts is that it's like a caricature. It's supposed they're supposed to be caricatures of like the idealized West we see in like Golden Age Hollywood. But yeah, you know, it really feels in their attempt to satirize it. I feel like they just copied it. You know, it wasn't yeah. exaggerated enough for it to. Yeah, uh, like the first one definitely. Like the actual ballad of Billy Scruggs or of a uh, Buster Scruggs actually felt kind of like they were doing what you just said. But then, yeah. like, as they get further on, then it seems like it's more just, like, another example of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Me, the Native Americans were kind of shoehorned in there just for novelty's sake to, like, put some conflict in. And it yeah, didn't really feel it, it, like it was they well thought didn't, out. But yeah, they didn't have to make it Native Americans. Like, yeah. I get the reasoning. Classic Westerns used to use Native Americans as the zombies in a zombie movie. But yeah. that's, you know, it's 2019 don't do that you could have just made them bandits or some shit you know right yeah yeah Yeah. and then so the last one is the mortal remains the mortal remains and this one is by far my favorite really yeah it was fun but um so it's these five people in a uh coach is what what yeah it's a coach stage coach stage coach and um the (laughs) god it starts off with with one of the guys kind of singing a song and people the just Englishman. kind of like, yeah, the Englishman kind of sing a song, and the other guys are sort of like awkwardly listening. Um, so there, so, are, there are five people in the coach. Yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah, there's the there's the two bounty hunters, basically the Englishman yeah. and, the, and the other guy who's sitting next to him. There's kind of like a scruffy looking. His name is Clarence. Clarence hobo guy. Um, no, Irishman is Clarence. Oh, Irishman is Clarence. Hobo guy. Does he have a name? Uh, I don't think hobo guy has a name. Yeah, I don't know. And then there's a uh, like a proper stuffy woman. Old woman. Yeah. This is Benjamin. Yeah. This is Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh, Hobo Benjamin. guy's like a fur trapper. He's a fur trapper. Yeah. yeah, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. yeah. And so a, it's a Frenchman? Mrs. Benjamin. And then, yeah, a Frenchman. 
So it kind of just goes about their interactions with each other. And somehow the the Frenchman, the the fur trapper, and the old lady get into like an argument on morality. And they the, get into an argument on love. Oh, at love! First, and no, it kind of turns into yeah. yeah. So the trapper goes on about his a past relationship. He's where just he saying has everyone, a, uh, people are all ferrets, and that's kind of <laughs> yeah. Because he was in a relationship with a Native American woman, and they didn't speak the same language, but they still found a way to communicate through each other. Yeah, um, I can't help but feel like that kind of harkens back to the beautiful savage trope that yeah, you see. It in. definitely does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Miss Benjamin is talking all about how her husband had to go away because he was sick. And he's been waiting for her. And then the Frenchman's like, well, maybe like, he didn't wait for Your husband probably you. just doesn't really love you that yeah. much. Yeah. So they and get he's just saying, like, I'm just saying, it's a different kind of love. Because, like, yeah. the uh, the husband is, what is he? He's like Charismatic. A, so he can control the love of a room. Yeah, so he's got a love of the room. Whereas you as have a love As opposed to somebody who needs to get love through uh, subjugation or something like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. And so then it's, this argument, like, ends up leading to her almost, like, fucking passing out or something. Yeah, she's, she's like, starting to have, a, like, an asthma attack or an, something yeah, like that. Yeah, an attack. Um, and then they, they kind of all calm it down, and then uh, one of the bounty hunters starts singing, not the same guy, but the other guy. The Irishman. The Irishman. And they're sort of talking about, you know, their their kind of relationship with, uh, you know, their bounty hunting business about how the one guy like distracts them and the With other sparkle. guy and the other guy what what, what was the word they use thumps them thumps thumps yeah he thumps them and he's just basically describing the situation that they're in where yeah. he's saying like oh you know like i give them the nice little stories and and talk them up and then he thumps them and then like you know you kind of see the expression all these people faces are like is yeah. is that's is that what's happening to us right now <laughs> because then he goes on with the story about how he loves doing that because while he's watching them die, he sees the look in their eyes as they try to navigate, like, or the, I think it's yeah. like negotiate the passage. Yeah. Of, like, <laughs> between the worlds and everything, and they try to rationalize what's happening to them. So they're all trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, the stagecoach, well, first we should say, this entire time, the imagery, like, the actual colors of the, um, the shot go from being very warm and, like, reds and everything to just straight up grayscale almost and dark yeah. blues well because it gets to be later too it gets like to be later, later in the day. or something else that we'll talk about later but yeah. they roll up into town it's a ghost town there's nobody there they walk up to this door on one side of the door is what looks like an angel and then on one side of the door is what looks like a demon head mm-hmm. on the very top it's not very it's pretty subtle and they open the door to a staircase and a lobby of what supposedly is a hotel Right, sure. And then the the bounty hunters are kind of saying like, oh, so this body that we've bountied and we're bringing, like, let's put him in your room, okay? And they're just like carrying... Whatever in, you say, boss. Yeah, they're carrying in the body, kind of like going about their day, you know, their business. And then the three, the other three are kind of like hesitating to follow them in the door because they don't know if they're being led into some trap. And they're kind of like being like, no, you go first. No, you go first. And then eventually they all walk in. And there's a shot of the two guys still carrying the body up the stairway, but the the top of the stairway is like this bright heavenly light, and then that's kind of it, right? <laughs> the stagecoach leaves, and the, they all three go in, and we're not really sure what happens. <laughs> and then that was that was the end of all of them. Yeah, and yeah, I mean we can get in later into like what we interpret happened at the end of that one, but or any of them really, but yeah. That 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 was that's kind of the way they went. Yeah. 
That must have um, been a long ass summary. I was not kidding. It has been. We'll cut it down. But let's Colin, we'll cut it down. Uh oh wow, that's it is pretty long. Oop. We did yeah. Well we it's, didn't start a new stop like this includes intro and like while you were still getting time on. And, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah but we'll how long could though. intro and story time be because this recording I, I have I know. we'll figure it out. Alright, alright, anyway, anyways. Let's go into the domains now. Starting with I think I said chowder first. So let's go into zomb not ro not zombie robots. Robot there Carnival, yes. Robot Carnival. Yeah. So Robot Carnival is an anime anthology film. It is. It consists of six short uh six right one two three four five six oh seven seven short films. Uh, oh shit! Uh, that's kind of one up the topic. Said so that uh, that is sandwiched between uh an opening and an ending sequence uh, mm-hmm. uh and like each short is directed by a different uh director oh that's cool yeah they're also pretty simple so i can uh run, run through them very quickly so no the- you can't <laughs> do not don't you dare run through all seven of them <laughs> i'll keep it to a single sentence each okay all right in the opening the the title of the film literally bulldozes its way through a town, Mortal Engine style. Nice. <laughs> then we have Frankenskier. A scientist creates a robot with, you know, life, and uh, he's overjoyed, he's, jump- he's jumping around, and the mo- robot childishly, like, imitates what the scientist does. The scientist trips, and the robot uh, m- imitates that, and tri- trips to, on top of the scientist, killing him. <laughs> Next, we have Deprive. Uh, yeah, a couple of robots steal a woman and beat up her android boyfriend dude. And then that the, happens. And then the android boyfriend saves her, uh, but not before defeating, like, an evil David Bowie robot. It's Naturally. Ve- it's, it's, very, it's very 80s. This is very 80s. Uh, then we have Presence. Uh... Yeah, okay. This is actually the most interesting one. Uh, so you have this, uh, uh, guy who is, I can only describe as a feminist neckbeard, you know, just like talks about how enlightened he is about women and, but, you know, still objectifies them. Uh, if, if you watch, if you watch the short, you'll get what I mean. He is make, in his, in an abandoned shack is making his own, uh, female android for his <laughs> own. For sex stuff. I presume, yes. They don't explicitly say, but I... They don't pre- actually show robot sex in this movie? No, they don't. Lame. <laughs> Anyways, but, like, the moment the robot starts to show any kind of personality, asking things like, what is my name? What is my purpose here? I feel alone, and I fe- and that loneliness is painful. He immediately just kills that robot, smashes it to bed. Bummer. <laughs> Later on in his life, when he's an old man, he uh he sees like images of that robot just coming coming back to him. He goes back to the shack to make sure it's dead. It is in fact dead. This one's really good because it just has a lot to say about it. There's there's a lot you can read into it. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have, then you have Starlight Angel, a teenage girl goes to an amusement park only to find that her boyfriend's been cheating on her. She runs away in tears, but she ha. She meets a robot who sweeps her off her feet and, like, does the I can show you the world thing. <laughs> and, 
And, uh, yeah, it was a rom- romantic tie. Imagine Take On Me by AHA. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> then we have Cloud. This is actually a really experimental one where it's just like a robot walking, and, like, as he's walking in the background, we see the evolution of mankind from birth to death, and, uh, hmm. it's a very art- artsy kind of thing. I really like it, but uh, I understand if, like, it's not everyone's thing because super experimental. Uh, then we have the strange tales of Meiji machine culture, Westerners of Uh, basically, a white dude tries to attack in a giant mecha robot that's, like, steampunkish, and, uh, an- another dude, a Japanese dude, like, fi- fights back in his own, like, samurai-themed steampunk robot, and, uh, shit happens. And last, we have Chicken Man and Redneck. Uh, Basically, it's Night on Bald Mountain, but with robots instead. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> Tokyo is overset by, uh, a bunch of robots dancing around at night, uh, and there's, like, a giant, like, super robot that, like, looms over everyone, but when morning comes, they all leave, and only one man saw it all somehow, so there's that. And, uh, yeah, it ends with, uh, like, the title sequence from the opening uh, breaking down in the middle of a desert, and, uh, yeah, that's, that is Robot Carnival. Yeah, the reason I chose Robot Carnival is just, uh, it's a bunch of, like, really, well, you know, basically unrelated, uh, shorts tied together by, like, uh, the theme of robots and AI, and, uh, I, I think just, like, the juxtaposition of each one next to each other, despite different styles, tones, whatever, still informs each other, and I think that's interesting. And also, like, when, uh, Pat said he wanted to talk about anthologies, Robot Carnival was a movie I've always wanted to see, but never took the time to just sit down and watch, and I just took this as an opportunity to go see something I've been wanting. So, yeah. Fair enough. I had never even heard of this before you yeah, said they were going to rep it, so. Yeah, that wasn't too long. All right. Thank you very much for bringing that. Jeffy, what do you have for me? Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about Love Actually, which is not traditionally speaking an anthology series, but it is comparable. It is a British romantic comedy that stars pretty much every famous British, act- British, act- British actor that you know. <laughs> it's got uh, Liam Neeson, Colin Firth, Emma Thompson. Liam Neeson! Yeah. Liam Neeson again. Um, Isn't Liam Neeson Irish, though? Yeah, but you know what I mean. We're going to figure this out. UK. Is he actually Irish? Yeah, he is. Uh, part of Ireland is not in the UK. In fact, the majority of it's not in the UK. I'm sorry. Bitch. I don't, I don't know my fucking United Kingdom history, and and you know what? This is not relevant, okay? People uh, died on Easter for this shit, okay? Alan Rickman is also in it. Um, uh, he is not Irish. Oh, well, he's kind of, he's Irish in the Oh, movie. no, he is Irish. He's in Northern Ireland, which is the part of the UK. Oh, okay, then. Like, there you yeah. go. Um, Hugh Grant is, uh, so basically it's a, it's a collection of not six, not seven, not eight, but nine uh, oh, man. love stories between uh, a bunch of different British couples leading up to Christmas. Um, and they're not, it, it doesn't show one and then the other, but it does, it is like nine separate stories that barely interweave. They interweave in that, like, there are connections between the people, like, 
like the story that's going on with Liam Neeson's character, like he's friends with Emma Thompson and her story is like a different story. So like they know each other, but like they're not all involved in each other's stories. Um, the stories, so there is a bunch of different ones. Uh, the prime minister who's played by Hugh Grant it falls in love with his um, secretary and that's one of them. And he's kind of like struggling with with that dynamic and like, you know, then the fucking president of the United States comes in and, and fucking hits on her. It's a whole thing. Anyway, I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm not going to like go into how all of them go. Um, The one with Colin Firth is uh, he was cheated on by his girlfriend. And then he he's a writer and he moves out to um, I think it's in I want to get this right. I think it's in Portugal is he has like a, a home there. And then he ends up um like. The woman who tends to the house, like, has this girl come in who doesn't speak any English, who, uh, yeah, who works for him, and they end up, like, having an unspoken thing. That one's really cute, because they, like, put her stuff in subtitles, so, like, they'll end up saying very similar things a lot of the time, but they don't know that they're saying similar things. Kind of like the fur trapper. Yeah, then there's really, there's a really funny one with, uh, gosh, what's his name? Um, Watson and and Sherlock. Oh, uh, fuck. What is his name? Hold on. I'm Googling this real Martin, quick. Martin. Something Martin. Martin Lauren? No, no, no. His last name is Martin, I think. Fucking name. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. His so Martin Freeman. Martin. Martin Freeman. He and this other girl, their job is that they are stand-ins for sex scenes in movies. So their relationship develops by like them basically having like not they're not literally doing it, but they're like faking sex on scene. Meanwhile, they're just having like small talk about like the traffic and the weather and they end up like getting a rapport that way. And that one's really funny (laughs) because like at the end of the movie, after they've gotten together, they're like all going to this Christmas play at the end. Like most of the characters are and uh, they're walking up and someone goes quite curious how did you two meet and they both just go um uh um uh, <laughs> and then it cuts to a different <laughs> shot <laughs> um there's a guy who is in love with his best friend's uh wife like they just got married and that's a thing there's uh, a woman who has a disabled brother and she's got this love for someone who works in the office that she works in and you know she can't kind of pursue that because she has to spend all her time kind of tending to her uh, mentally ill brother. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, uh, Alan Rickman's story is, uh, so he's married to Emma Thompson, and the fucking, like, the new secretary at their office, he's also this other woman's boss, but the new secretary of the office is, like, fucking hitting on him and, and trying to trying to get with him, and, and he kind of ends up, like, sort of falling for that, and then that, that one kind of ends sad, but, um... That you know, that's most of them. They're they're just all kind of like charming, pretty simple love stories, um, idealized. It's a pretty funny movie. It's kind of a classic rom com, just with sort of nine stories instead of one, and uh, probably one of my favorite movies. So it's not like I thought it would be an interesting to- thing to talk about because it's not directly an anthology, since it's not like one story after the other, and the stories do have like slight bits of connection. But it is basically like nine different stories a bunch of different short yeah yeah that are kind of spread out and then oh the one that this is another important one the one with liam neeson is uh his his wife died and then his stepson from the wife uh announces that he's you know in love with this girl so they're like kind of plotting together to like find ways to get him to get this girl and you know it's kind of interweaving with them sort of mourning the mother at the same time 
and that, that yeah. the whole thing culminates with a uh, the a musical that this guy that the kid is in the high school a high school musical a high school Christmas musical, and then the lead singer is the girl that he's got a crush on, and like the whole thing is um, everyone kind of watching that, and then like a lot of the stories sort of culminate there, and uh, the little girl is also is now Marceline the Vampire Queen, so that that's a fun. Uh, Fun fact from Adventure Time. <laughs> nice. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I thought it would be an interesting thing to kind of compare to a more traditional anthology. Perfect. All right. Think-
Slamma Jamma Alabama. <laughs> we uh, yo, man. Suspense. I didn't know how that was going to go. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I think on that note, we should get into the discussion section as if any of what I just said is going to make it into the final cut. Oh, God. Colin's editing. You know it will. Editor's note stay tuned after the credits for more details. He's not going to take an opportunity to cut out poop noodles. He's not going to have time after our long-ass fucking summary. Uh, True. So, I guess let's jump into some discussion questions that I have about your experience with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Do it. First, we're going to talk about meal ticket, specifically the soliloquies that the Coen brothers chose for, I can't remember his name, Dudley. It's the actor who plays Dudley from Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Melling. Um, is he? He is. He's Dudley. Uh, specifically the ones wow. that they ask him to... Really? Yes, to he looks say. so much thinner. And not he just because he doesn't have limbs. Well, he's old. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since he played Dudley. Anyway. Yeah, but I just remember Dudley getting, like, huge over time. Like, he just yeah. became a proper big British bloke, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he started big and then got little. But he also didn't have legs or arms in the movie. So it's kind of, like, same weird. But anyway, um, the soliloquies that they chose, once again, are the Gettysburg Address... Ozymandias, Cain and Abel, and Sonnet 29. Admittedly, I know absolutely nothing about the Ozymandias poem. All I don't I know, know anything about most of these. I know, like, a little bit about Cain and Abel, well, but... The, the, you can sum up the Ozymandias poem as it's like a king bragging about how great his kingdom is and how it'll last forever. Cut to a hundred years later, and that said same kingdom has faded away into nothing, even, Interesting. From, our, even from our memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fits my point even better now. Yeah. <laughs> so, to me, based on the snippets that they give you, like, in the beginning, they're just showing him off as, like, oh, he's this great actor, even though he has no arms and legs, he can articulate very well, he can express emotions through his face. But then as it goes on and you start to see the problems, they give you specific snippets of each quip and, like, yeah. soliloquy that kind of dictate how the story is going to go in the end and actually foreshadow mm-hmm. uh, Liam Neeson's character killing, supposedly, the actor. Um, yeah. So in Ozymandias, where everything's gold and then it fades into nothingness, you have the opening soliloquies that are getting a lot of attention, a lot of money, and it starts to kind of go a little sour and not making as much money. Um, the one thing, I guess, about the Gettysburg Address that stands out to me is the fact that it kind of has to do with slavery, and you could look at this yeah. relationship as kind of a slave relationship. Okay, so, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, maybe I'm, I'm total idiot, and I don't understand the, the passage of history, but is, doesn't this predate the Gettysburg Address? No, no, no. This is definitely when, after. When, is the, sure. when did the Wild West allegedly happen? So. I mean, it um, start. It started before the like Civil War, or oh, and ended after the Civil ended War. Ended after the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. See, I, I had sort of, I never really knew exactly where, where it landed. I sort of figured it was like kind of like right after settling, so well before the Civil War. But so it's definitely like it starts around the 1800s and everything. But I think it goes into the early 1900s mm-hmm. um, out west, like out. When you when you get back east towards all the places that have been developing for a while, they skipped right over like the the western well, lifestyle because yeah. they and weren't. This west. is all just like a long <laughs> they were east. exactly yeah. So, <laughs> um, 
it really like even up until 1903 and shit like that there were there were people who were um living out the western lifestyle out here like tucson especially has a lot of like old western um vibes around tombstone is where the okay corral shooting was all this other shit so like civil war was mid 19th century like 1864 i think so until the 1900s started to set on in World War One and all that shit, it was pretty much like everything was lagging behind over to the West. They were relying on railroads to get everything over, and people still had to make railroads. It took a long time, so right. Um, it's you could make an argument that potentially this happens before the Gettysburg Address, but but I think, since he since he quotes the Gettysburg Address, yeah. probably not. But also, like, how did he get it right? Like, well, I guess it was had, probably like, transcribed and and yeah, and, like. Yeah, it's getting, over there. Yeah, it's it, it's Gettysburg Address. It, it's been just transcribed, and that's part of the reason he's performing it because you know not everyone got to hear the Gettysburg Address. Yeah. So mm-hmm. having someone recite it is something worth something that's of worth to people. Fair yeah. enough. He's not only performing; he's giving them the news. All right, <laughs> very underrated. Um, but he specifically, this is kind of tongue in cheek, I think, from the Coen Brothers. Sonnet twenty nine has this um this line in it. That says, and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries, <laughs> and look upon myself and curse my fate. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> he literally has no legs, so he doesn't have boots. <laughs> bootless cries, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, but then, like, oh, what was it? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel is the biggest. Um, yeah, that's the big one that they kind of go back to a lot. So for those of you who don't know, Cain and Abel is a biblical story um, where Abel was a very favored young man in God's eyes, and Cain was jealous, ended up murdering Cain, or murdering Abel, Abel. to um, just, like, become the favorite one, and then when God came down, asked him where Abel was, he was like, am I my brother's keeper? And then <laughs> God cursed him um, for somehow, but also said Fucking that murdering. whoever kills Cain would suffer vengeance um, like sevenfold or something like that, and that's how the band Avenged Sevenfold got their name. It's fucking hilarious. Um, hmm. that's not really important though. It kind of you could make the argument that this relationship between Liam Neeson and Dudley, we're just gonna call him that for the rest of the fucking time. Um, <laughs> you could make the argument that that is a slave relationship in which Liam Neeson is exploiting Dudley. Yeah. Um, but you could also make the relationship that they are brothers and codependent on each other because without one, the other cannot survive. Right. But then once he finds that chicken, (laughs) all hell breaks loose. It's Cain and Abel time, baby. Actually, Um, uh, I never realized this. If I'm, if I'm right in the story of Cain and Abel, uh, uh, Cain kills Abel with a stone, right? Yeah. There's, there's a part where Liam Neeson, like he throws the stone rock. Yeah. He's at the bridge and he drops a rock in before, you know, probably killing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that relates, I think. Yeah. It definitely does. Yeah. So that's why, like, so when I, I never... first watched it, I didn't catch that. And then the second time through, I was like, huh, I should look this shit up. So something that I've never considered before when talking about Cain and Abel is, are their names, like, intentionally that way? Because it's kind of, it kind of works for this one because it's like Cain and Abel. Like, one of them is literally Abel and the other one, like, Cain is like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I, 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 I don't think the Bible that was the intent. Knew yeah, I mean, that I don't, I, especially since it was like translated. You know, like those are their names, not yeah. in 
common day English. But and it I does think work Katie's out with a K and funny. not a C, but yeah. like that's funny, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Um I also want to point out that another band got their name from something that's in here. Uh Sonnet twenty nine, that line I just wrote or read, uh mm-hmm. about Deaf Heaven. There's a black metal band called Deaf of Heaven. Of course there They're is. not really good, but everybody fucking loves them for some reason. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Can't both be true. That was mostly what I got out of that um that vignette, I suppose. Um that was probably my second favorite one, just because it's like so ridiculous and yeah. arguably well acted. I think the other one that I really saw as having a lot of like imagery was the Mortal Remains. The last one, like we talked about, yeah. how it goes from being a very vibrant and colorful um, kind of color palette into a more dark and remorse one, and the fact that they even refer to what they are doing as ferrying cargo is another biblical reference <laughs> to the ferryman yeah. who. I guess it's not even biblical. I think that one's more um, Greek. Yeah, like of like ferrying people into Hades' domain. Yeah, was like a was like a Greek thing. Exactly. Um. So to me, this is kind of like the passage that they're on the passage between life and death, mm-hmm. and maybe even and they're being tried. Yeah. Yeah. So originally, I thought the Englishmen and the Irishmen were actually dead as well, but as I watched it again, I kind of mm-hmm. thought that. They the, were kind of like the ferryman, the well, stagecoach driver. They, they call themselves reapers. Exactly. Like, they literally say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They call themselves reapers. And it's like, I thought, okay, fine, but maybe they were actually just like bounty hunters. It went wrong. They got killed as they were trying to find somebody. Sure. Um, I mean, how dead uh, is the dead I guy, mean, really? I think with yeah. that, I think they're just uh, grafting the aesthetics of the Western onto purgatory slash judgment day yeah that's what i got out of that specifically when i saw that one side of the doorway had like an angel an angelic figure and the other side had like a demonic figure um and then as they go up the stairs there's a bright light and everything Mm -hmm. and the fact that they are kind of forced to reconcile everything that they did in life and what kind of people they are it kind of like plays to the whole adage that once you get to heaven or like you're right outside the gates uh, I think it's St. Peter will call your name and like usher you into heaven. Like in that song. Or he will like send you back down to purgatory or some shit. So to me, it was just like they are acting as the the gatekeepers into heaven, as it were, and seeing how they, the three people react. They kind of figure that out at the end or, or, yeah, or yeah. at least think that they're about to get murdered. And that kind of... Um, goes along with the song that the Irishman is singing. There's a line in it. <sighs> I'm trying to find all of the lyrics, but I'm I can only find a couple. The main variant of the song includes like soldiers, sailors, maids and cowboys being cut down in their prime and contemplating their deaths. Mm-hmm. So it kind of alludes to it as well. Um there's a line that says my jewel, my joy, don't trouble me with the drum. Play the dead march as my corpse goes along, and over my body throw handfuls of laurel and let them all know that I'm going to my rest. And that's the song that um, the Irishman sings to kind of calm everything down as they're finally making the transition. That song actually happens right when the last of the color fades out. Mm-hmm. And that's like, so to me, that's him. Some clever shit right there. (laughs) And them passing over specifically into being dead. Um, All around, I like this one just because you don't know what's going on until very far into it. Like, it's very confusing, but it's still very engaging. Yeah. Englishmen specifically 
kept me captivated the entire time. Do you do you see these vignettes as like how do I want to like do you think that the 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 order of them was was selected carefully and and that they have not necessarily a, like a narrative continuation but some sort of thematic continuation as they go through or do you think it was just like oh they got these five stories all take place in the west this is how it maybe reads best to put them cuz I mean I I think that like in inevitably that like whether they intended for any kind of through line between these five vignettes mm-hmm. or not, they all inform each other because they're packaged together, because that's just how yeah. we are. When you put things together, we like to find the pattern, and I think and they end up informing each other, even if... Oh, of course, yeah, I mean, they do absolutely They're undeniably Coen Brothers other. productions, like... Yeah, I, I guess already... I'm, I'm wondering, like, whether or not the order of them was, like, intentional, So and... Because, like, in terms of the ones that I like, I think most of them were kind of earlier. But, like, I definitely see the tone, like, the tonal shift throughout of it, where it, like, it does ebb and flow a little bit in, in, because I think the fourth one is, or the fifth one is the darkest, not the sixth one, but. Yeah, definitely. But, like, like, do you think that there was something there in terms of, like, oh, we start off with, with the actual Ballad of Billy Scruggs, this is kind of like a a silly western where no one's even questioning the fact that he can take off his own hat and look at his own bullet wound what before he dies and then it goes into this kind of cerebral sort of purgatory state for the last one like do do you think that there was some sort of like continuation there or like it was just them trying to try out different things and that's just how they put it i don't know i think i, I guess i just want to talk a little bit more about the fact that they're the the anthology aspect of it and like how these things all play off of each other and relate to each other right yeah so i think that they picked the order specifically to appeal to a larger audience at first and try to like capture them into investing themselves in this mm-hmm. and then kind of getting into more of the nitty gritty. Like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I think anybody could watch that and probably be entertained by it. Same thing with Nier Algodonis. Um Meal Ticket, they kind of test the waters by having that dark ending, but it's still overall pretty like lighthearted and entertaining. Mm. Yeah. And then I mean, they like, start the whole to... thing is mostly a montage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same thing with All Golden Canyons, pretty much a montage, but, like... Yeah, that's true. It starts to slowly get more into, like, the art behind it, rather than being funny or being entertaining, um, specifically just for the novelty of being entertaining. The guy who got rattled, I really didn't like all that much. Like, no. yeah, I get at the end, it was, like, incredibly fucking... I guess not ironic is the word I want, but... Um, it's supposed to leave you with a sort of hollow feeling i guess yeah Yeah. and Um, that it did (laughs) but like to me like the best ones are meal ticket and the very end one so i think they they tried to capture you in the middle and then ended on a bang but yeah i i feel like uh about or all the anthology as a whole is meant to be a caricature of like golden age hollywood westerns yeah but like i I definitely see because like each each one kind of represents a different sort of element of it. Like you've got the Oregon Trail, you've got like the the flamboyant shooter, and you've got like uh fucking you got like the con the con man. Yeah, the con man, and yeah, yeah, the the robber, the yeah. But like, like I also said, oh, before, and uh, gold digging. That was the other go- one. I was the pros- to think the of. prospector. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But uh, like I said before, I don't think they do enough to exaggerate it, so it feels like another example of those Golden Age Hollywood uh, stuff than it is uh, than it is a satire of it, I think. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't even necessarily think I'd say that it was meant to be a satire to, of it. I well, think no, that satire, not, not the... It, exaggeration, character, parody, but not satire. It doesn't really have a No, yeah, I mean, I think larger... it was more of, like, a callback to those things. Like, hey, this is a style that existed, and They're it might like have been problematic, They were kind of romanticizing it a little bit. Yeah, but... let's, let's just make one, you know? Yeah, it was very nostalgic. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, like, to me, I didn't see a lot of imagery. This might just be me um, not seeing what the Coen brothers put in. I didn't see a lot of imagery in the first two. I saw a lot of it in the second one. Yeah. The first one I really liked for what it was, though. Like, it was just, like, thoroughly enjoyable, like, him doing all these, like, flamboyant murders and then, yeah. like, the ridiculous death at the end. And yeah. I don't know. But, like, um, I mean, I guess, I like, I, I can't really talk about that with love, actually, because it's, like, the, I mean, it's it's not an anthology in that sense. Like the order definitely mattered because they kind of go back between different themes throughout the movie. But so Jeff, I mm-hmm. wanted to talk to you to compare the two. Do you think that the fact that all of the stories are actually connected in Love Actually, and you actually get a conclusion at the end? Um, does that kind of elevate that style of movie telling or storytelling over what you would think an anthology series does? Because it's more like <laughs> you have six individual conclusions that aren't very big and whole, whereas yeah. you have the individual conclusions to each storyline, but then one big conclusion that wraps it all up in this giant musical yeah. moment of well, love. Yeah, I mean, mo- to be totally honest, like that's where the movie ends, but most of the stories conclude before that. Like several, like only, I want to say two or three of the stories conclude at that point. Most of the other ones conclude either before that or right after it. So they do all have their own separate ending. This is just like oh, start, 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 middle, 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 ending, 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 instead of start, middle, ending, start, middle, ending, start, middle, ending. You know. So I yeah. think that like they're they're definitely undeniably different, and it like I wouldn't really want to say that one or the other is better. I think that the having the little vignettes is is really nice to kind of like get different stories and it's sort of like an episodic type thing whereas how they did it in love actually i you know they had a bit more of an opportunity to kind of like make specific tie-ins like a lot of the sad moments happen around the same time in the movie and like all the climactic moments happen at the same time in the movie and stuff like that so they got to kind of like parallel their different plots and like treat some of them more seriously than others Whereas in a traditional uh, anthology, each story gets its own time. So I think that like it, it's different in that way. But I, like, I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really want to say that one is better than the other. Basically, is what I'm saying. So I guess that's that's very fair. But like to me, I didn't really experience it much in this anthology, mm-hmm. but in other anthologies, like in the Twilight Zone and specifically in Black Mirror, yeah, I feel very unfulfilled at the end of one of those episodes because I want more of that story. Love Actually's plot got let it get away with having a lot of the stories be like pretty shallow and not have to dive into any deep things, you know? Like mm-hmm. it they got to do a full movie, but each of the stories like when you actually break down what happens in each plot, it's really minimal. You know, a lot of it is just charming moments kind of with the plot built around it yeah like the thing with love actually is it 
sort of like takes like the uh par- parts of a romantic comedy and like uh compresses it so that it gets rid of like all the in between and just has like the high points. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, for me why I find it such an enjoyable movie. Like when yeah. you actually look at the love plots there, it's just like eh, I don't know, you know, like you met each other yesterday, but Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's with, like Yeah, with like Twilight Zone and Black Mirror though, they're like a cautionary tale or most of the episodes are like cautionary tales. So Yeah. Like uh so like if those stories did continue, I would kind of defeat the purpose of a cautionary tale, which is to say, yeah, we could have a society like this, so you better watch out. And you I, better watch out. I didn't. I you didn't, better not cry. You better watch out. You better watch out. You better watch out. You better watch out. That's a great find. Anyway, um, <laughs> the the I didn't think there would be much of a difference going in between the anthology as a series and the anthology as a as a movie. But like I, that's like one of the big things is I noticed is like I don't think at all about the order of Black Mirror episodes. I mean, like they have Easter eggs, but like there isn't. It doesn't no. make me feel even a little bit like there's a continuous, you know, thematic message going on. Whereas watching these in a movie, I thought a lot about the order. Yeah, you know, yeah, because just the fact that you sit down and watch it all in one sitting, yeah, your your mind starts to like associate things just yeah. inevitably, you know. Where it's like, do you, black... do you feel that it's kind of that way in in the movie that you brought as well? Yeah, I'd... since that's also a movie, right? Yeah, I, I do because like you know each short is directed by a different person and they all have different tones and like you know each director is you know like an auteur in their own right. So oh, so, like... I actually want to cut in real quick. Do they also have different artists? Yeah, like, I was is wondering the art that style too. The same between them all, or uh, the art style is different between them all. You know, like that's pretty crazy. Cool. I want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For example, Presence is much more detailed than, say, uh, uh, Deprive or Starlight Angel, which are, which, like, Deprive and Starlight Angel are, like, quintessential 80s anime, my friend. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then, like, Strange Tales of Meiji Machine Culture, Western's Invasion is very, very, like, cartoonish looking in comparison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, the order in which they appeared doesn't really matter because uh yeah they don't their common theme is simply being about robots and ai but uh and really the only one i think they had any intentionality with was the last one simply because it had the flashiest animation so <laughs> yeah yeah and like also knowing that it's different directors too for each one it's like it's not like they told them to like embody a specific sort of narrative archetype so like, it's like it's even less likely that that the order of those would have been significant yeah. i mean they might have curated it a little bit like yeah. decided which ones like, you know like yeah like what i imagine happened was like you know, somebody said, hey, we're making an anthology thing. The theme is robot. Go wild. Go for and, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, everyone did their thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah whereas, other... like... Sorry, go ahead. You get... go, go on. I was um... going to say, like, something like Black Mirror or Twilight Zone, right? Like, the episodes, like, they all follow a similar theme, right? Like, Twilight Zone is basically a bunch of what-if situations and well i mean i guess black mirror is too but black mirror they try specifically to take something about... and blow it up to its extreme to show right. why it's bad right right and but like black mirror is specifically about like a bunch of different types of technology they keep a kind of pretty consistent tone throughout the whole thing yeah so like that's what makes it all work as a series whereas like even there was a pretty good amount of variation of tone in all of the ballad of buster scruggs different vignettes 
So, like, the common theme was the Western. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but they all still feel like they have that Coen Brothers uh, style to them. Like, even no matter, how, oh, for sure. like, no matter how different they get, they all feel tied together by the same visionaries, you know? Yeah. No, that's, not, that's absolutely true. But that's but... what's crazy about yours, is there's different directors, different artists, different yeah. settings, different everything, and they're all yeah. packaged together. And that's kind of what a true anthology is. Yeah. It's yeah. not supposed to necessarily be linked at all. Yeah. Right. I mean, there should be some sort of link. Otherwise, like, why is it not just like a yeah, collection of... It's like, yeah, it's usually a collection of stories. Like, like even my movie is like, like all the shorts are sandwiched between like an opening sequence and an ending sequence that involves like this giant city shaped like this giant city robot carnival thing yeah. no, shaped like the like, logo. The, yeah. Yes, it's still an anthology because it's got the common themes of robots, but if it weren't didn't have that common theme. It had different directors, different art styles, and they were all just packaged together. I don't, I don't know if I'd call that an anthology rather than just like yeah. a collection of shorts. You know, like if you watch Maybe like not. all the Oscar nominations for short stories, right? Like that's not an anthology. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those yeah. are just several things that fall into the same media category. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think a better example would be like on Netflix. Disney has has like a series, like all the sh- you know, like all the shorts they show before, like uh. They show the feature film. Yeah, yeah. They they have all those shorts in one in one thing, sure. and that wouldn't right. And that's a collection, really, not an anthology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, like when you're talking about anthologies, it's like I think that it's got to have something that ties it together, whether that be like a consistent message, a consistent setting, or a consistent like sort of you know narrative theme of like the robots or whatever. All right, I got one more question that I want to ask Chowder. Okay. Um, to me. And you kind of brought this up as well. The Coen Brothers series isn't necessarily like a satire, but it's definitely a parody. There was there were a couple of things that stood out to me when you were describing Robot Carnival that they were kind of trying to paradise, or I guess parody is the actual word there in and paradise. of itself. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, let's make paradise, paradise a word. <laughs> yeah, they, were, <laughs> they were parodying some stories like Frankenstein and everything. Is, yeah. Is the entire thing meant to be like a parody in and of itself, or is it just like they chose a couple? No, actually, because like some of them are pretty tragic. Like presence, you know, the one about the neckbeard who like creates his own waifu and then kills her the moment <laughs> she shows any kind of personality. Uh, that is twinged with this sort of somber like tragedy. Uh, and the same goes for uh, Cl- Cloud. Yes, Cloud. Uh, yeah, Cloud, which is just, like, an incredibly somber piece about, like, mankind destroying itself as a robot, like, sees sees it all and just wants to end himself, you know? As- yeah, but to me, that can still kind of be a parody. It's not like a, a funny parody, <laughs> but it's like, let's look at this theme that is kind of stereotyped across the neckbeards of the world, how they're, like, super into waifus, and then, like, let's play it out to its extreme. Sure, let's that's look more at, of a like, commentary than a parody. I guess, you know? that's fair. Yeah, like, Especially since, like, I feel like if you're parodying something, then you're talking about, like, a different kind of, like, a kind what? of media, whereas you're not, like, parodying mech- neckbeards, you're kind of commenting on the toxic sort of hi- hip- hypocrisy of it. Like, like, the difference between a parody and a satire is a satire has, like, a message it wants to convey, while a parody... It's just, like, tends to fucking just, poking uh, fun celebrate, at shit. Celebrate, yeah, yeah, poking, yeah. poking at it. And, like, if nothing else, Presence, I would not consider a parody, because it has something very specific it wants to say. But, like, then again, I would also consider Frankengear a parody, 
or a strange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that definitely sounds. Yeah, strange tales of parody. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should probably move on. We've been talking for quite a while, but it was very good discussion. I thank you both for everything that you brought to the table. I am mostly talking right now to kill time until I bring up the recording guide, and here we go. <laughs> Wait, uh, we should still... I mean, I don't know what it says in the guide now, but we should still mention the oh, listener questions. Thing. Yeah, right, even though um, we didn't have any. But. Yeah, so we didn't have any listener questions this week. I think we need to be a little bit more proactive on acquiring those. But if you want to have your own question or comment read on the show, we make posts on Facebook and Twitter where you can comment or reply, and we'll be sure to talk all about it. You can see those every other Friday when CGP is off the air. Likes, shares, and comments all enter you into a raffle, giving you a chance to pick your own topic for a future episode. <laughs> that was me doing finger guns at you. <laughs> so yeah, thank you both for an adjective discussion. <laughs> Word. Uh, I fucking love that shit. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll move on to the rating section, and mm, I'm going to have you guys rate the topic of the ballad of Buster Scrug on yeah <laughs> yeah tell me how many shots you're gonna shoot off of my trigger hand <laughs> okay mm. uh I'm gonna think about it yeah I'm I'm put in a weird position where uh I, I did like uh there were stuff I liked about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs but there were also things uh that kinda bored me a little and also like the depiction of Native Americans in that movie leaves a sour taste in my mouth yeah. Uh, but I also want to be fair because I did enjoy it. So I'm gonna say two and a half. It was good, but uh, you know I wouldn't recommend it. I or I wouldn't necessarily recommend it over something like The Big Lebowski or uh, <laughs> or, other uh, Coen Brothers things. Other other Coen Brothers things. Yeah. Damn. Fargo. Okay. I mean, I would I would still consider that like a average to slightly below average score. So yeah, like, I personally don't watch anything below a three, but unless <laughs> yes. it's supposed to be bad, unless it's supposed yeah, to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. See, this is a tricky one to rate because I have pretty different ratings for each of the each of the individual ones. Um. But I'd say on a whole, I think the only one that I really got to the end of and was like. Mm, didn't like that was the fifth one the Oregon Trail one you know like that one uh, that one kind of just left me feeling like well what really was the point of that and uh, maybe that's the feeling it was supposed to leave me with but regardless I still have that feeling um but I really like the first the the actual ballad of, of Buster Scruggs I enjoyed the shit out of that one I like the James Franco one the first two I really like and yeah. I would actually recommend those to people yeah. the last three is like a eh maybe Plus four yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I like the Liam Neeson one for what it was, but nah, not my favorite. And then the I like I did enjoy the the gold prospecting one. So I think, gosh, I I think if only this were out of six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I guess I guess I'm gonna go three point five. I was kind of going three point five or four, but like, yeah, because like I started off watching it, I was like, oh, I enjoy the shit out of this. But then when I got to the end of it, there were like just a couple in there that like yeah. made me kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know if I needed to have watched that. Yeah, by so, the by the end of it, I feel a little exhausted with that 
with this. So yeah. Yeah, I sort of feel like it would have been better as as episodes rather than as a movie. So yeah, I think I'm I'm gonna land on on 3.5. But that that's a teeter between 3.5 and and four. Dare I say 3.75 to really violate <laughs> you can, my own rule? You can do that. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, if you're willing to make it a 3.75, I'm willing to make mine a 2.75. Oh shit, we're haggling <laughs> well, I up you in go here. The opposite way, to 2.25. <laughs> So, okay, yeah, a tentative, you know, somewhere between uh, 3.75, if you will. I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed most of the stories. All right, uh, bump mine the- up to a 2.75. <laughs> Sick. Um, but yeah, that, that, it was fun. I, I wouldn't, like, I, I, like, it had its problems, but I, I'd still recommend it, I would say. It, they're fun. All right. Well, I feel a little hurt because this is probably one of my favorite movies that i've seen in quite a while at least recently um oh now i just want to go up to four i'm closer to no, four no no that's cool <laughs> um i would personally probably give it like a 4.25 i understand it's not like amazing yeah. by any means but it, it definitely spoke to me a little bit i guess I, when I'd i was first I'd watching give, it i'd give the the first about the ballad of buster scruggs the first one i'd give that one like a 4.9 or something like i really <laughs> yeah. enjoyed that one i i yeah oh. i i like if nothing else i really enjoyed the ballad of buster scruggs that was a fun time yeah, yeah. i will say that i didn't really think about the racist native american depictions yeah uh, my first go around mostly because i think i was a little bit accustomed to it because that's basically how every other western movie was so i didn't yeah see it out of the ordinary but yeah it caught my eye but i was like well it's kind of the aesthetic it's going for it's just about like whether or not they chose to actually put that in there and they did choose to do that so, they did choose yeah. to and they didn't do it very well they kind of shoehorned it in like we yeah. said but next, I will award a gold star student. That's very poorly written. All right, we're going to start this over. <laughs> next, I will award one of you uh, a gold star student award, giving the reward to the person who I think best. Um, you know, did there, some there are shit. too many things that I have to fucking come up with on the script. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Like the um, topic, the yeah. entire discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna give this to the the Boo representative. Agency. Yeah, fuck agency. Let's bring it back to episode two, motherfucker. Um, no, that was episode uh, ten, I think. Ten, whatever. <laughs> Still, a long Sorry, time. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting. I you. am going to give this award to the person who I think best exemplifies what I think is like. This is. I'm just talking out of my ass. <laughs> Best, come best. I'm trying to get to the fucking horse, but I'm at the cart still, alright? <laughs> Wonderful analogy. Yeah, just the person you thought did best. Just, just yeah, boom, <laughs> done. The person I enjoyed the most in terms of what they brought to the table, their discussion, their kind of links to all of the, uh, what they brought into what I brought, and also their critiques that I found very valid. Um, I'm not gonna do the thing where we pitter-pat around and tell each of you what you did well. What was the, what's the award? Oh, yeah, the award is a gold cowboy hat, unless we've already done that. No, we haven't, I don't think. think. Yeah, cool, you get a gold cowboy hat, specifically with a hole in the front and a blood-splattered hole in the back. (laughs) Right on. So, I get, uh, Whoever wins gets shot in the head. Then, oh, or? you get yeah. real presumptuous up in here. Well, no, you <laughs> just get the pre- hat. Somebody else was shot. You get the hat. Oh, okay, that's fine. So I'm going to give this award to drumroll, please. Chowder. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yay, yeah, Shadow of Darkness, you. my uh, old friend. <laughs> I am still not the biggest anime fan, but based on what you told me about Robot Carnival, it sounds very interesting. It sounds like something I would be willing to watch at least because it doesn't sound like it's so like it doesn't sound like a very modern anime that I think goes too over the top with a lot of the stuff. But also, yeah, the, it's a it's 1987, so yeah, yeah, it, like before, like some of the stuff that you would consider anime but yeah. it, it's it's retro stuff is what yeah, i back in the the golden days of like transformers style yeah anime. yeah transformers I, I that. is not an anime <laughs> whatever we've gone it was over this made in america the cartoon <laughs> anime. yeah i think you just drew a lot of good parallels and the way you spoke about um robot carnival made me really rethink my opinion of anthology series where i was of the opinion that jeff was that they needed kind of like an overarching theme to tie them all together but i think robot carnival proves that you don't necessarily need that besides just being a theme of being an animated like series but yeah i mean it was also all about robots i, I thought yes that's they, where i each landed story <laughs> had a robot in it but they were all vastly different like narratives at least or not maybe vastly different but mm-hmm. they varied quite a lot yeah so yeah i very much enjoyed that Shout just one because of what he brought man fuck you (laughs) (laughs) that's not fair (laughs) i was dead before i started well you weren't dead before you started you just didn't describe it as well as chowder described his so be better Mm -hmm. chef Mm Uh, Mm -hmm. Anyway, that about wraps it up. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Common Kicking Program. I am your host, Pat, and you can find me on Twitter at PureRiffery and Instagram at PattyIceOfficial. I play a lot of video games with Colin, and that's pretty much it. And then I've been joined by... Howdy, y'all. I'm Timul, or Chowder, whichever you prefer. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at TimulChowdery. You can see how that's spelled in the description. Uh... Yeah, good evening, partners. Buckaroos and uh, vaqueros. Sure. Uh, my name is Jeff Levitt, and you can find me on Instagram at Things I Wish Existed. One of these days, I will get Pat to love me and give me a gold star, but I guess that was not today. <laughs> I thought I've given you one before. I don't think so. Have I never? <laughs> no. <laughs> We've had several well, episodes well, where I really think that I should have won, but then I didn't. I feel like I've episodes. never given Chowder one. I don't think you I have. I don't believe that. I'm fucking. So either way, it was it was somebody's time. Okay, it was somebody's time. Anyway, um, the next episode will be hosted by Chowder. Yo, me. What you yeah. gonna be talking about? I'm gonna be talking about Dragon Ball Super Broly. Uh, Fuck, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am on an anime kick, apparently, because, like, last thing I was talking about was an anime, and then, what, what, whatever. Anyways, uh... Hey, Pat, who, uh, who won the, who won the Kingdom Hearts episode? Just wondering. Jocelyn. Did she? Wait. Oh, I no. don't remember. Oh, no, I won that, yeah. Yeah, you did. Get out of here. <laughs> whatever, man. I forgot <laughs> that I was technically the one who chose that, but that's, like, that's not a real episode. Those are verses. <laughs> There was only Fuck a off. 50-50 anyway, chance. Dragon Ball Super Broly. They're all a 50-50 chance. <laughs> they weren't before. They used to be tw- fucking 33.33333. Bitch. Yeah, are, this one is, though. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> Point is. Let me be salty. Be sure to tune in two weeks from now <laughs> to listen to Chowder, Ryan, and Eddie talk about Dragon Ball Super Broly. That will be airing on the 15th of March. 
Uh, pretty sure that's tax day or some time around there. Now uh, the correct way to the say I'd... that though is is Chowder and Eddie comma Ryan. <laughs> oh, true, Eddie comma Ryan. Um, but that is definitely the Ides of March, so beware that one. Somebody please make a Caesar reference so that we can make that the title. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing everything. We love you. We appreciate you. Uh, we'll talk to you not next week. We'll talk to you in two weeks. This is a dumb fucking recording guide. Woo! Alright, so is this Does the part next where week? we stab you, Pat? It says next week, yeah. Is this the part where we stab you, Pat? Am I dying? I, I, mean, what? I, mean, I mean, you said make a Caesar reference. I yeah, guess next we gotta... week. Oh, okay. Wow, you fucking give him the gold star over me and now the motherfucker wants to stab you. This is what you get for <laughs> it, Pat. I feel very underappreciated, Chatter. E2, I'm sorry. Chatter. <laughs> All right, well, let's stop recording. All Me right. too, Chow Day. This episode of the Common Geeking Program is hosted by Pat Brem. He's joined by Timul Chowdhury and Jeff Levitt. This episode is sponsored by a 35-minute summary recording. It's supposed to take 12 minutes, but you had a 35-minute summary recording. That's longer than the discussion. Do you know what happens when you over-record a single section? It throws off the entire rest of the project in weird ways. The podcast is created and produced by Colin Ketchin and Jeff Levitt, with this episode edited by me, Colin Ketchin, featuring original music also by me. We'll have another episode of the Common Briefing Program available later today, so check for that in your feed. Check out commongeekingprogram.com and our Patreon at Geeking Program. We hope to hear from you in two weeks, and you will hear from us. And thank you for listening to this. Slamma Jamma Alabama. <laughs> we uh, know, man. Man. I didn't know how that was gonna go. <laughs> well, I'm blue. Episode title? <laughs> what an Alabama hot pocket is. Do I is it a sex thing? Yes. <laughs> I don't wanna know. Okay, fine. You definitely would not like it, Jeff. If you don't like poop noodles, you definitely will not like an Alabama hot <laughs> Who pocket. Who likes poop noodles? I don't think anybody likes them, but it's just kind of funny to think about also, poop you gotta, noodles. you gotta fucking stop just casually bringing up poop noodles on this podcast <laughs> and saying that is the thing that relates to me without explaining the context. But also, and again, we're not going to explain the context, but now twice you've, you've said like, oh, poop noodles is a thing for you, which implies that I get them and I just don't. <laughs> no. I'm not trying to say you get them. I'm not trying to say that you like them. It's just that you are inherently tied to poop noodles in my mind. <laughs> That's the last it. time you just casually referred to me having a poop noodle noise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 you do. I know I do, but without the context of that, it's like, what does that mean? Wait, did, you, did you keep it in that episode? Where were you? I think so. Oh, I don't know what it was, but I think it was left in, yeah. Oh, dear.